Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. But yeah, we're excited about that. But I just want to challenge you this morning because it was a little more than seven years ago, probably seven and a half years ago, that we were introduced to Isaiah Salivar uh, from a mutual friend, uh, Bishop Wellington Boone, who is a national uh, um, speaker, guest speaker. He actually spoke for the Promise Keeper events that filled uh, football stadiums, you know, back in in the 90s. Okay, so kind of dates me, dates him. But anyway, he met Isaiah and watched him preach. And he, he, he told us, he said, I'm not going to let some young guy out preach me. He's, but he saw the fire and the passion on this young man that had an incredible encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his life. And so decided to tune in to YouTube, and I watched one of his videos. And he was actually in his home in Manteca, California. They had cleared all the furniture out, and there he was preaching to a group of people. The house was packed with people. And you could see, because sometimes the camera would go, and you could see the window was open, and there were crowds of people outside the house. I'm thinking, this is crazy. But I heard a message that convicted me. And I'm a pastor. I thought I loved God, which I do love God. Loved God back then, love God now. But I realized (laughs) that I'm in a place where I'm not where I should be. And such conviction came over me, and I just began to to weep and cry. I said, God, we need a move of your spirit. It's so easy to become complacent in your walk with God. It's so easy to yield to compromise because everyone else is doing it, so they're getting away with it, so why not me? But yet, so we we contacted him, and for the last seven years, Isaiah, he's brought family, he's brought team. He introduced us to Matt Cruz, who you're going to hear from tonight. He's going to share a little bit. But we've had such a move of God in our lives. And, and let me just have a show of hands. If you're here and you were in an Isaiah meeting or a meeting, awakening meeting, where your life was radically changed, lift your hand. Okay, look at this. Some of you were saved in some of those services where you made a commitment to Jesus Christ, accepting him as your Lord and Savior, but your life is not the same. Now, today, I want to tell you that he's not your typical preacher because he likes to yell. And I have to be honest with you, I never like yelling preachers that, because that's not me. But you know what? There's something in the yell that we need to recognize, and that's an anointing, a passion, a word that can bring deliverance and freedom in our lives. And so uh, you're going to receive something today that I believe is going to challenge you, convict you, and move you into another level in your experience with Christ where you will encounter more of him. Because I want more of God. And that's what we've been hearing this week so far, that we need to cry out for more of God. We can't be on the sidelines. God wants us on the forefront of what he's doing because there's a generation that needs to be saved. There's a city right around us that needs to be saved. What are we doing about it? 
And so you're going to hear something that's going to help you do something significant for the kingdom of God. Isaiah, come on up here. And let's welcome him this morning as he ministers the word. God bless you. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Come on, who came excited about the presence of God? I don't know about you, but I'm glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. David said, I'd rather spend one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere, that there's no place I'd rather be than in the house of the Lord. I'm telling you, there is an excitement, there is a passion, and there is a hunger. Some of you haven't been here the last few nights, so you might be confused why we're shouting. You might be confused why we're excited. You might be confused confused why my voice is gone but I'm telling you you may not come to the awakening but this morning we are bringing the awakening to you that there is more that God has for your marriage you can take your seat and you can feel free to stand at any moment there is one exciting thing of being about being in this church this morning that we are in a place where there is freedom and there is liberty now I know you may have came in here say I'm not used to this at my church we don't praise this way at my church we don't shout this way at my church they don't preach this way at my church the lights aren't down come on you better help me here at my church we don't have the fog and the light well praise the Lord I got news for you we are not at your church this morning we are in a place that believes that God is exciting we are in a place that believes that there is passion I'm telling you and I prophesy over you that God is restoring passion to the house of God God is restoring excitement to his church I am a amazed by how much excitement offends the church. I'm amazed on how much passion offends the church. You go to a football game and you are not offended by passion. You go to a football game you are not offended by shouting. I used to go to the club. I was never offended by loud music. I can't remember one night of partying where I went to the DJ and asked them to turn the music down. I can't remember one time being in a concert. And by the way I was in a traveling metal band for six years and we never went up and said oh it's too loud we're too excited friend we were drinking and partying till three o'clock in the morning and now that I've been delivered and now that I've been saved you better believe that I'm gonna praise and I'm going to shout you better believe that I'm gonna be excited if we could wait in line for 12 hours for the new iPhone you better believe I could wait for 30 minutes during the preaching I'm telling you we need a greater commitment than the thing of God than we do the things of this world. We need a greater passion for the move of God. See, here is the reality this morning, that there is a move in every generation, that God has always moved in the generation, that God is always moving, God is always shifting. We've been preaching for two days that God is doing a new thing, that there is a new outpouring, a new spirit of revival, that God is releasing. You say, Isaiah, I'm not aware that there's a new move of God. I'm not aware that God is moving in my generation. That is the exact problem that we are dealing with. That God is moving and we're not aware of it. See, there was a man in the Bible that was determined that he wasn't going to let the move of God pass him by. He was determined that he was tired of giving God an hour on Sunday, but living void of the supernatural power during the week. See, you got to understand that an hour and a half 
Thank you, Andy, by the way, for this information. It's less than 1% of your week. There are 168 hours, and the hour and a half that you tithe to God is less than 1%. We have a generation in America that thinks we are radical because we give God less than 1%. But David said, I will praise you every day. David said, I don't just attribute and subscribe my worship to an hour and a half, but I worship every day. I praise every day. I wor- I thank you, Lord. When I get up on stage, it's not abnormal for me to be excited. I'm not just excited on stage. I'm excited every single day. I woke up with a praise. I went to bed in praise. It's a lifestyle, not something we do. Not just once a week. I come to church. I get excited. I shout. I dance. I sing about a God I don't know. I talk about a God I don't know. I talk about and I get all excited. And all week long, I ignore the presence of God. All week long, there is no moving of the supernatural. What a tragedy that Jesus died not so you could fill a chair, but so he could fill you with his spirit. Let me tell you, I've never met somebody full of the Holy Ghost that's dead on the inside. I've never met someone full of the Holy Ghost that doesn't have a passion for the things of God that doesn't have an excitement for the things of God. You think about all the things that we are excited about. I mean, we've heard about your Disneyland vacation for three weeks before you left and we plan and we get excited about our trip. My dad paid for me and my wife to go to Hawaii this year. My wife's been wanting to go for six years and the only reason why we even went was because I was tired of her asking and I mean, we were going to everything we did and talked about was Hawaii, Hawaii, Hawaii. I'm like, I cannot wait to be done with the Hawaii so I don't have to hear about anymore. And I look at our lives on how excited we are about all the things of this world, the new iPhone, the new Apple Watch, the new, I mean, we're just excited about our job and excited. We've been hearing about your promotion for a year and hearing about your new Lexus and hearing about your new Tesla and everything that you're doing and everything that's happening. And I'm going, at what point as a church does that excitement translate into our spiritual life? At what point do I say, I am excited about what God is going to do this morning. I woke up excited about what God is going to say. I'm not going to let him pass me by. What did blind Bartimaeus do? The Bible says he began to shout. He began to cry out. See, it starts with desperation. It starts with you getting hungry for more than a Sunday morning. Jesus did not die on a cross to change what you do on Sunday. He died on a cross to give you a new nature so that every day there'd be a lifestyle change. That he doesn't just want to meet you at an altar. He wants to meet you in your living room. He wants to meet you in your bedroom. He wants to meet you everywhere. God's not boring. You are. I mean, we're so bored. We're so bored as a church, as a Christians, as believers in America, always having to come out. You know, we're pastors. We're tired. I'm a senior pastor. I've been in revival for nine years. And friend, I am so tired of trying to figure out new programs and new strategies and new ways to entertain you. We're never going to be able to entertain the church the way the world could. So we might as well stop trying. Our calling is not to entertain you. Our calling is to equip you. The word of God is not there to make you feel better about your sin. 
It's there to bring reproof, correction, and rebuke. The Bible says the word, it will show us what's wrong with our life and how we should live our life. And it is time we begin to treat God's word better than we treat our cell phones. I mean, can you imagine the, uh, the, uh, the, the lifestyle change and how radical it would be if we treated our Bible the way we treat our cell phones? That when we leave our cell phone at home, we turn around to go get it. That when we need to get a, when we need to have an emergency, we open up our cell phone. But what if we open the word? What if instead of checking our messages all day on our phone, we check for messages all day in our word? What would happen in case of emergency? We didn't call with a phone, but we went to the throne. What would happen if there was a boldness and there was a passion in us? And we said, I want a holy addiction to the presence of God. The same way I was relying on alcohol. The same way I was, come on, y'all better help me preach up in this place. The same way I was relying on drugs. Well, that's not my preference. Well, God doesn't care. It should be told there's many of you that have done nothing for God in the last year anyways. There's no movement of the Holy Spirit. And listen, you can get offended all you want. Some of you need to get offended. It has been so long since the Word of God has pierced you and pricked you and convicted you. And my Bible says the Word is a two-edged sword. That there is a cutting and a piercing and a wounding. Isaiah 66 says those that tremble at my Word. I don't just want to hear a message and walk out the same. I came this morning for transformation. I've been, listen, I did seven services services this week including tonight and I know what it's like just to go through the motions but I don't just want to go through the motions I am tired of being a spectator into what God is doing seem blind Bartimaeus determined that I'm not letting God pass me by I'm not letting what God's doing in this church pass me by I'm not letting what God is doing in this generation pass me by I want to be a part of what God is saying I want to be a part of what God is is doing. I want eyes to see. I want ears to hear. It's not going to happen if I just show up on Sunday. Just come to church, check it off the list. I totally get it. Listen, I got no glasses on. Praise the Lord. If I put these on, I can see who you are, but I purposely don't wear them. So you're all blurry. So don't sit back all condemned going, I don't know why that preacher's staring at me. There's a reason why I moved my head nonstop. All right. So y'all all feel like I'm staring at you, but you got to understand. I totally get it. There are many of us that are only here by the attendance of last night. I totally can know this is a fact that we're only here because it's what you do on Sunday morning. This was the same attitude that religious people had. It was the same attitude the Pharisees had. And Jesus goes, I want more than a religion. I'm not dwelling in buildings any longer. I'm dwelling in people. I want you to be the upper room that I fill you with my spirit. And I know some of you have gotten tired and some of you have gotten weary, but God is getting ready to refill you. He's getting ready to refuel you. In fact, there is a phenomenon called the second wind. I was studying this this year pastor I was so amazed by this phenomenon here's what they say about it they say that when a runner is on his last breath now I don't know about you but I have zero cardio I might look skinny on the outside but I'm overweight on the inside I don't run I don't exercise I don't do cardio I mean my hobby is fishing all right so I'm just chilling on a boat throwing out a line but I look at these runners that run 20 miles 30 miles 40 miles 50 miles and I got so intrigued because Paul said that we are all running
running a race. Now, some of us today are not running a race. We're running on a treadmill. And we think because we're putting in a lot of effort, we're going somewhere. But how many know that a treadmill, you could sweat, you could run, you could do all this stuff and never go anywhere. And I don't want to be a believer that runs but never goes anywhere in God. I want to go places in the spirit. I want to see something change. I want to see something move. So they say that when at a runner or anybody is on their last breath, when you're when you're tired, when you're weary, when a boxer's in the 10th round, there is actually a built-in function in your body called the second wind phenomenon. Biologists do not understand it. Physiologists cannot comprehend it. But they say that when you're about to give up, that when you feel tired and weary like quitting, there is a second wind that gets released in your body and you're able to push past the point of weariness. Come on, help me preach. You're able to push past the point of tiredness and you're able to do what you've never done on less energy than you've ever used. Are you able to run? As you're about to quit, the second wind breaks out. I know all about the second wind. And if you have kids, come on, help me preach. You know all about the second wind because my kids will fall asleep in the car. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what I mean when you carry them and they're dead asleep in your arms. And there is something about the bed that is so demonic. The moment you lay your kid down for a nap, all of a sudden the second wind breaks out and they jump out of bed. My kids hit the second wind at about 11 p.m. So I know exactly what it is about. But I begin to realize that the second wind is not just a... a, a function in the human body, but it's a function in the body of Christ. Explain it. I would love to. Jesus filled the disciples. What does the Bible says? It says he blew into them and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, wait in the upper room. Why would you wait if I've already been filled the first time? Because God says, I want you to wait in the upper room because I'm going to release a second wind. And the Bible says there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. It was the second time they received the wind of God and some of you this morning you're going to get your second wind you're going to get your praise back you're going to get your shout back you're going to get your passion back you're going to get your excitement back you can't give up there is too much at stake we need the older generation I know many of you think well that's cute that's cute for the young people. Lead all these cute young people up at the altar in the front and they're passionate and they're radical. You got to understand, yes, there's a move of God happening in the young generation. Yes, God is moving on the young adults and it is so exciting. I know some of you don't like it, but praise the Lord that God's reaching their generation, not your generation. And some of you are mad, but you don't realize that we need you. When Moses was in the mountain worshiping and having his hands up, then Joshua was able to beat the battle. See, the moment Moses' hands went down, Joshua began to lose the battle. Is it possible that the the younger generation is losing the war in the spirit because the older generation won't cheer them on. The older generation won't put their hands up. You don't sit back tonight and say, oh, the awakening's for young people. It's for every generation. It's for every age. The fire of God, it has no age. God wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to revitalize your youth. He wants to put a fresh praise in you and a fresh passion in you so that you'll go do the work of the ministry the bible says and there was a generation that did not know the lord their god 
There was an entire generation that raised up in Israel. This is what your Bible says. That did not know the Lord, their God, or his works. How did a generation raise up like the generation we're living in that did not know God? I'll tell you how. Because they stopped talking about God in their homes. They stopped talking about the supernatural delivering power. How God brought us out of Egypt. How God delivered us. That means it was possible to raise your kids in church, but not raise your kids in Christ. And some of you know because you've watched your children wander. But I prophesy that before the year is over, that your kids will come back in the name of Oh, somebody better get excited. I prophesy that the prodigals are getting ready to come home in the name of Jesus. That if you've raised them the right way, although they may depart, they will return to the faith in the name of Jesus. God is bringing back the prodigals. They did not know. I prayed this. We're living in revival. I was an atheist nine years ago. Some of you don't know me. I got radically saved. I was partying. I was drinking. Every other word was an F word. And the audible voice of God came to me. The presence of God came to me. said, Isaiah, I have a plan for your life. I want everything. I was getting hired as a police officer. He said, I want you to leave that. I want you to leave your girlfriend you're with for four years about to marry. I want you to walk away from everything you've known. Give up your music. Give up your friends. Give up everything you have. And I begin to lay down. I begin to get rid of everything in my life. All my old party friends. I was throwing these masks parties, these apartment complex parties. We were out doing shows. We were on tour. I mean, we were living the life. We were on stages before thousands of people. We did the whole thing. And I begin to call my friends. They'd say, Isaiah, where's the party? And I said, come to my house. And all my party friends begin to come to my living room. And they thought they were coming for alcohol. They thought they were coming for drugs. They thought they were coming for just a nice party. But they didn't realize they were coming to meet almighty God. See, our revival did not break out with a bunch of boys crusty religious people our revival broke out with a bunch of beat down broken busted and disgusted that knew that they needed a savior Jesus said I did not come for those that think they're righteous and those that are well but I came for the sick and those that need know they need a savior I don't know about you this morning but I came broken this morning I came desperate this morning I came as a beggar this morning God is looking for those that would make him a priority. He's looking for those that would talk about him in their homes. I want my daughters to be raised in revival. I want my daughters to be raised in the fire. I got three baby girls and they know that when daddy leaves, he's not going to hang out in hotels and play religion. But daddy's bringing the fire of God to the nations of the earth that God has called and God has anointed us. I sit with my daughter who's five and she doesn't understand why is daddy gone for five days? Why are you leaving? I have to sit down with her and I have to tell her, Bishop Boone taught me this. I have to tell her who her dad is, that your dad is not average. Your dad is not normal. I tell my daughter, we're not just going to church, baby. We're not just going to a program. You're not up in kids class getting babysat, that we are in the fire and the revival, that God is moving on your generation, baby. And God is moving on my generation. And I hate being gone for five days, but your dad has been called by almighty God. God, your dad has been anointed for such a time as this. My kids are not going to be raised in a dead church. They're going to be raised in a move of God. Somebody ought to be excited that we are in a move, that this is a move of the Holy Spirit, and God is doing it in your day. Now, if you want to find a church, 
where God isn't moving, there's plenty. I have people come and like, I just don't, I had one lady come bishop just the other week and she follows me on Facebook and she thinks I'm like cool because I go travel and that, you know, people come because I guess it's like a novelty. They're like, oh, you're popular on Instagram and Facebook, so I'm just going to come to your church. And she came, she said, oh, I don't know, she wrote my wife. And I don't know if she knows it's my wife, but maybe she does. And she said, I just don't know. It's just a little bit too loud and too fast and too wild. She said, I, I, you know, the message was great, but is there any other speakers at your church? And I'm going, honey, you're at the wrong place. If you don't like the fire, if you don't like the anointing, I told my wife, just send her a list of churches in the area that will just tell her what she wants to hear. I don't want to be in a place where they tell me what I want to hear. I want to be in a place where they tell me what I need to hear. I want to be in a place where they preach the word of God. See, Paul warns us that there would be a different gospel preached. And we are living in the day of the different gospel where there is a gospel being preached that says you can drink, you can party, you could smoke, you could cuss, you could do whatever you want. And as long as you just pray a prayer, everything's fine. But I read my Bible, I read the quite opposite. Jesus said, if any man wants to follow me, he must deny himself, deny his cravings, deny his plan, pick up his cross and follow me. There's an uncomfortability following Jesus. You know, 10-year plans are not in the Bible. I went back, what's your 10-year plan? I'm going, you mean my plan? I don't, have, I don't even have a tomorrow plan. I have a now plan because my Bible says do not plan for tomorrow. For a fool only plans for tomorrow. For we don't even know if we're going to have tomorrow. That this might be the last message you ever hear. This might possibly be the last altar call you ever go to. Oftentimes, I think about this. I think about the way the New Testament believers made him a priority. Jesus was not an add-on. In Acts chapter 20, it says, and they met on the first day of the week. Jesus was number one in their life. Friend, do you know that you will solve a thousand other issues in your life if you begin to put God first and not last? If you say, God, I'm giving you the best of me, not the rest of me. I'm tired of giving you leftovers. I'm tired of working my tail off 12 hours a day for my construction company, but coming and giving you a little 30-minute tickle me Elmo praise. God, I want to give you all of me. See, God is either the Lord of all or the, not the Lord at all. Like, well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I get it, I get it. It's a little bit too much for me this morning. And, you know, I was hoping to come to just an average service where we kind of just you know, had a nice word and have just a five-minute altar call. It's just a little bit too intense, a little bit just too nice. And, you know, is there any, like, Christianity that I could have where it's kind of like I don't have to do all the stuff? I mean, is there something we can do where it's like I don't have to pray for the sick? I don't have to raise the dead? I don't have to drive out devils? I don't have to pray? I mean, I don't have to pray? I mean, is there anything we can do where I could just kind of add Jesus, kind of like a little mascot, a little banner to my life? Life, like just an accessory, just like a purse, just we'll just add them to the wardrobe, like a, a side fry to the meal. I mean, can we just have a nice, cute little sanitize? A Jesus that preaches three points in a poem, a Jesus that doesn't heal and doesn't deliver and doesn't save. Is there any room for me, friend? Let me tell you, that's not Christianity. That is not the God that we serve. There is no such thing as being halfway saved. There is no such thing as being a halfway believer. In fact, it's either 100% or 0%.
See, one, one powerful thing about my salvation was I didn't get saved because a guy preached and said, oh, come give your life to Jesus so he could build a treehouse in your house. No, I got saved. I got saved at an altar by myself, praying, nobody laying hands on me, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I knew it was God because I didn't want to speak in tongues. I didn't even know what it was. I put my hand over my mouth, and my mouth was still speaking. And God came to me and didn't say, Isaiah, you know, I just want to be a little part of your life. You could just go to youth camp every year. He said, Isaiah, I either want all of you or none of you. In fact, the first thing God told me was, I don't want 99.9%. And you got to understand that our God is a jealous God that wants all of you. He wants to be your number one. He wants to be the last thing you think about before bed. And the first thing you think about, he wants you to have a holy obsession with him where you fall in love with him when you get in relationship and you actually know him. For many will stand before me and say, Lord, 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 did we not prophesy? Did we not do miracles? Did we not cast out devils? And he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Here's the scary part. There's a lot of us in this room, let me just look down while I say this, that are not casting out devils, that are not healing the sick, that are not doing miracles. And yet we think we're going to stand before God. God's going to say, well done, come right in. Why would God say well done when the church isn't doing anything? Why would God say well done if we're not making disciples, we're making excuses? Why would God say well done when we're not giving him the best of us, we're giving him the leftovers? Why would God say, well done? Friend, I'm telling you, you're either going to hear well done in heaven or you're going to end up well done in hell. And I don't know about you, but I'm not trying to end up in hell because I bought into a different gospel. There is only one Jesus. There is only one gospel. There is only one way. It's not your way. It's Yahweh. There is only one path that could save. There is only one door that leads to life. And it's not my way. It's the scriptures. Jesus said, if you want to live, you must die. He goes, you've been looking for life and pleasure and joy and peace and a career. He says, the only way you're going to find it is if you lose it. He says, the only way you're going to find your life is if you let go of your life. You have to let go of your, I get it, your desires and your preferences. You're not as eccentric, maybe because you're in Wisconsin, not California. I'm not eccentric because I'm from California. I'm eccentric because I'm full of the Holy Ghost. People say, oh, you just talk fast because you're Hispanic and you yell because you're Italian. Although I am half Hispanic and half Italian, which is a very dangerous combo for a preacher. That is not why I yell or talk fast. It's because the fire of the Holy Spirit is burning on the inside of me. I can't take credit for nothing I've done. It is all Jesus. It is all the presence of God. And I've made a decision. I'm giving him my first. See, the Bible says not only in Acts 20, where they gathered on the first day of the week, but the Bible says, and Paul was gathered with the local believers. There is something that happens when we gather as a church. There is something that happens when we gather together in prayer. See, the Bible says one could put a thousand but you could put ten thousand that's why the bible says do not forsake I was talking to a girl last week, and she goes, oh, well, I don't have to go to church to be able to be a Christian. I don't have to go to church to have a walk. There's an entire generation that's their live stream Christians. They don't, they're not involved in any church. They're not submitted to any pastor. They're not a part of any ministry, and some of you are here because you only come when I come, and you never go to church outside of me coming, and you think I'm going to validate your rebellion. I'm not here to validate the fact that you're not plugged in or faithful or giving or tithing or doing anything for a local church. Paul realized that his call was to build churches. 
Paul realized that if we gather together, there is power. So the Bible says Paul was gathered with the believers. See, you got to understand that there is a corporate anointing, that when we come together, there is protection in numbers, that when we come together, we can do more together than we can alone. And the Bible says Paul began to preach till midnight. Now, some of you are afraid because you know it's 1056 and you're already looking at your watch. And don't worry, I'm not going to preach till noon. But you got to realize Paul preached till midnight. Here's why. Because Paul was leaving the next day and he did not know the next time he would see these people. Friend, you got to realize that the next time you preach to your family, the next time you preach to your coworker, the next time you preach to somebody, it might be the last time you preach to them. We have to realize that our generation does not have a short attention span. One pastor told me, okay, brother, you know, I need, even though I flew 10 hours to get there, praise God. I hope he's not watching. Well, he's not, praise God, for no live stream. Thank you, Jesus. He said, man, you know, I just, you know, I want to, you could go for about 25 minutes. And then here's what he followed with. He goes, because, you know, our generation has a short attention span. I said, wrong. Our generation does not have a short attention span. Our generation has a long attention span. How do you know? I said, go look at our Netflix. We could binge watch the whole se- first season of The Office. We could binge watch our favorite show. Thank you so much. We could binge watch our favorite movies, our favorite music, our favorite show. And if I look on your Hulu account, your Instagram account, your screen time on your phone, your Netflix account, your YouTube Red account, your Facebook account, I will realize your attention span is not short. What's short is our capacity to receive what God is saying and what God is doing. Because we are not spiritual all week, we come to church as infants and we can only handle a pacifier. So we just stick a pacifier in your mouth. Hopefully you stop whining. Hopefully you stop crying. Do you know the point of the pacifier is to trick the baby's brain into thinking it's getting food? And why it stops crying is because it's thinking it's eating, but it's actually not getting any nutrients. And there's a lot of pacifier preachers in America that aren't actually feeding the people at all. They're just soothing them and getting them to stop whining about all of their issues. But I'm glad that I'm in a church that is not going to pacify, but is going to empower. I'm glad that I'm in a place that's going to call out my compromise, going to call out my complacency, going to call out the false gospel. Paul preached until midnight. Paul didn't have, you know, oftentimes I think about preaching and I go to these churches and I don't have it here and I'm, I'm respectful of time. Bishop knows I, I always honor the time. I don't go over. I'm not one of those guys that goes an hour and a half when you gave me 25 minutes. But I often go to these mega churches and they have those big clocks in the back and they have the countdown. It's like right when you get up, they start the countdown. It's like 25 minutes or 28 minutes or 13 minutes and you're sitting there preaching and I often wonder, what would I preach if that countdown was a countdown to my life? If that countdown was a countdown to eternity? See, I'm passionate about this because just this year alone, I had a young girl that was a part of our ministry for five years move away. After two years, she came back to our ministry. And I preached a message on the fear of the Lord. And she came to the altar. And she cried for about two hours at the altar, laying down her life before the Lord. I got a call the next day that she was hanging out with her cousin in a closet. And they were in a walk-in closet. He pulled out a gun. I think it might have been his dad's. And accidentally shot her in the head. And I did not realize that the message I preach would be the last message that she heard. 
before entering into eternity. I had a young friend named Daniel who was 20 years old that just got a job working for Pixar Entertainment as a graphic, I mean, as an animation artist. And this man came to the awakening and I preached on the fear of God. I preached that this might be our last night. And I didn't know that the next day Daniel would be driving over the Altamont Mountains to work. And he texted on his phone and his car rolled, rolled off 300 feet and he died on impact. See, I didn't realize that my message would be the last message he ever heard. I had a friend that heard me preach one day and four days later I was at his funeral hugging his dad because I didn't know that one pill was going to cause him to overdose and die. See, this gospel is not fake. This gospel is not light. There is a seriousness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This generation needs you to preach. This generation needs you to declare. This generation needs you. There's a problem when I can look back on my year and say, I've not preached the gospel to one people, then why do you call yourself a Christian? To be a Christian means to do the work that Christ did. It was actually a derogatory term in the Bible for people that look so much like Christ, they'd say, those are the Christians. In fact, in the Bible, Christians did not call each other Christians. I know we get saved like, oh, now you're a Christian. Christians were Christians because the world saw a difference in their life, and they called them believers, and they called them Christians, and I'm wondering, if you never posted on Facebook, would the world know that you're a Christian? If you never posted it on Instagram, would the world know that we are Christians? I am pleading with you this morning to get off the fence. See, in Acts 20, as Paul's preaching, the Bible says, and there was a young man that was named Eutychus that was sitting on the windowsill. See, this man represented a believer that is half in the move of God and half out of the move of God. See, half of his body was in the service. His other half was out the window. He was sitting as far as possible. Windows are the farthest thing possible in the room. If you look at that window, it's the farthest way possible. If you look at that window, and there are a lot of us that live our life sitting on windowsills, live our life as far away as possible from the fire, as far away as possible from what God is doing. You try to avoid it. You were probably hoping I wasn't preaching because you already avoided the last two nights. But God is speaking to you this morning, saying, Eutychus, it is time to get off of the window. See, the Bible says, although the room was lit with candles, that the boy began to get drowsy and then eventually would fall asleep being drowsy is the first sign that you're getting ready to fall asleep how many know being drowsy is not fun when I'm tired I'm not a nice guy I've been in churches where I'm tired and I have a line of people wanting to talk to me I'm going Lord you need to give me the fruits of the spirit because I'm tired and I'm weary there are some of you drowsy this morning and I'm not talking about in the natural I'm talking about in the spirit but God has sent an awakening to wake you up. God has sent a passion and a fire in this house to wake you up. You have to make a choice. I'm tired of sitting on the window. What's the window? The window is the place where you could see into the move of God, but you could still see into the outside world. It's a place where you could see what God is doing, but still maintain relationship with what the world is doing. In fact, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, by the way, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, not because of the sodomy and the, and the homosexuality and the sin, but God actually destroyed the city because they were gluttons and they were idle. And there was people outside the gates of the city, Ezekiel says, that were dying of starvation and the people in the city were throwing away food. How many know 
the church is idle, the church is overfed, and we have so much food that we're throwing away when we have a starving world that is hungry for what we have. There was an idleness about Sodom and Gomorrah. Friend, I don't want to be idle in the house of God. See, but what you have to understand was that God did not just destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but the Bible says that he also destroyed the plains. The What is the plains? The plains were the places that were surrounding Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the places where they could go in the city and be a part of the world, but still maintain their relationship with their own house and their own family. And God says it's not just those that are in the world, but it's those that are back and forth between the world and my kingdom that are under destruction. you got to get to a place where you say, I am all in. I'm tired of being halfway in and being halfway out. I'm tired of living as a window Christian. I'm tired of window shopping. Always looking but never buying. Pastor Deb, my wife is a window shopper to the max only when I'm with her. I mean, I look at I'm like, honey, you're, you know, you're out shopping again. Praise the Lord. And my wife's so good because she spends, she'll spend a ton of money and buy nothing for herself. She's like, well, I'm buying it for the kids. I'm like, yeah, but you're still spending the money. Praise the Lord. Whether you're buying it for, but my wife, when we go shopping, Pastor Deb, I tell her like, honey, let's do something together. I want to spend time with you. What's your favorite thing? I know she loves shopping. I know it's her favorite thing going to the mall. I mean, she just goes to the mall. She doesn't have to buy anything. It's like therapy for her. So we'll go to the mall. I mean, we'll be there for an hour and she's just looking and she'll go in and try things on. I mean, an hour in one store. And I'm just being tortured I feel like Paul when Paul said man I'm just you know I'm just being I'm suffering for the gospel and I'm sitting there feeling like I'm being shipwrecked every time I go into that forever 21 store every time I go into TJ Maxx I'm like Lord please let there not be a sale and we're sitting there and I'm telling you what right now my wife will look for an hour and she'll be like this is awesome this is amazing look at this dress I found look at this thing I found and then we're about to leave she has nothing in her hands come on ladies you better help me I'm like, why didn't you buy it? Oh, I was just looking. And then she tells me, you make me nervous when you shop with me. I'm nervous to buy. I'm like, you ain't nervous when I'm not with you. Why are you nervous now? I mean, she looks like some of y'all while I'm preaching. Like she's just nervous while I shop. I'm going, honey, why is it? You're excited about it. You even try it on, but you're not willing to make a purchase. You are the epitome of a window shopper. And God says, that's the problem with my church. They get excited about it. They try it on for an hour on Sunday, but they never actually buy the thing and God says get off the window stop window shopping and say I'm taking Jesus home I don't just want to try him on but I am clothed in Christ that I wear Jesus Paul said, it's no longer I that live. I'm getting ready to close in three Pentecostal minutes. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ. In fact, what did Paul say? Paul said this, to put on Christ as if Christ was an outfit where you could literally be clothed in God. Paul was saying, I had all these other costumes and outfits, but now that I'm saved, I wear Christ every day. I don't just wear Christ when I come to church. I don't just wear Christ at home. I wear Christ at my job, at my school. I'm not a allowed to be, come on, help me. I'm not allowed to be angry. I'm not allowed to cuss anybody out. I'm not allowed to flip them off when they pull in front of me because I am wearing Christ. And if Christ wouldn't do it, then I'm not going to do it. I mean, talk about what would Jesus do? 
Imagine if we apply that to our life when we're watching demonic movies and we're sitting there watching people. You know what's amazing? We will watch people on a screen make out and fornicate and adultery and all these things with our kids. We'll bring them to movies watching all a bunch of witchcraft. I'm not going to go into that because I'll really offend y'all if I start talking about my convictions. And we start watching all this garbage on TV and we're perfectly comfortable. And then we come in here and we're not offended by it at all. And then we come in here and hear a guy like me and we're all offended and we're all uncomfortable. I'm going, why is it the devil doesn't offend you, but every Everything God is doing offends you. Why is it that movie didn't offend you, but our loudness and our passion offends you? You got to get over you. Get off the window because here's what happens. Let me close. I can get the worship team up. The Bible says Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window. How many people in our churches are falling out of the move of God and nobody recognizes? I'm telling you, I am so heartbroken by all the people, Bishop, that have gotten saved at the awakening that are falling out of the window and are no longer there anymore. See, it starts with you being half in and being half out. The moment you get half in and half out, you begin to get drowsy. The moment you begin to drowsy, you begin to fall asleep. The problem was not that he fell asleep in the light. The problem was he fell asleep while sitting at the window. And there are some of you tonight that have fallen asleep. There are some of you today that are falling asleep. There are some of you that are on the window and God is calling you today to get off of the window. The window is a dangerous place because when you're on the window, there is a chance that you will actually fall out of the move of God. I wonder how long the service went on and nobody noticed. Nobody noticed. I was so disappointed in myself, Bishop, just a couple weeks ago because there's a young man that had been a part of our ministry for a long time and is gone. And I didn't, I, I wasn't mad that he was gone. I was mad that it took me three weeks to notice three weeks I didn't notice I'm preaching I'm praying for people and three weeks go by I'm going where's so and so oh you didn't hear he fell out of the window wait what he went back to the world he went back to the old girl he went back to the drinking he went back to the party had been once apprehended by almighty God at once had saw deliverances signs and wonders and miracles and then all of a sudden see what was happening was it wasn't that he just fell out one day you don't just fall out of the window it's a, it's a fast it's a slow transition where you go from being front row then all of a sudden you're like oh, I don't know about all this and you're on the third row you're on the fourth row you're on the fifth row you're no longer coming to prayer you're no longer showing up to volunteer day you're no longer sharing the post on Instagram. I mean, you would have thought that Pastor Deb and Bishop were your parents. You had them on your lock screen. I mean, you were posting videos about them, pictures about them. But then all of a sudden, when you get up on that window, you stop getting excited about God. When you get up on that window, you stop being passionate about the things of God. And it is only a matter of time before you fall out of the move of God. It is only a matter of time. See, but Paul realized that we're shutting everything down because I'm going to rescue the one that's fallen out of the window. You may have fallen out of the window this morning, but this morning God is going to heal you. God is going to restore you. God is going to give you a new passion. He's going to give you a new praise. See, the Bible says that Paul went down, got down. The Bible says bent down. God on the boy's level, I don't have time to go into all the details of this. God on the boy's level and picked the boy up and said, the boy's perfectly fine. Wrong. The boy's dead. 
the Bible says the boy fell out of the window to his death but you got to understand that Paul was walking in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit and everybody that Paul would come in contact to would come back to life we ought to get a fire in our spirit where we get around our friends that are dead we get around our family that are dead we get around a dead community and our very hug our very presence brings them back to life I love this because the Bible the boy falls out of the window I met somebody that fell off a three-story building broke almost every bone in his body I met a, a lady who got hit by a car at 25 miles an hour broke the doctor say she broke one of every bone in her body now if you're a doctor you know what that means I have no clue what that means I'm going okay that must mean like one of every major bone I don't know what it means and I know that and it took them months and some years to recover yet this boy falls out of a window to his death and the Bible's going to end the story by saying he left the service unhurt how is that possible because when God revives you he does not just revive you but he heals every broken area every part of you that is broken he says I'm going to heal this morning I'm not just going to raise you from the dead but I'm going to heal your marriage I'm going to heal your mind I'm going to heal your finances some of you just came out of a divorce this year and God says I'm getting ready to heal you all the emotional abuse and all the pain is going to be healed many of us including me have lost a loved one this year and I've gone through it's been traumatic for many of us but this morning I hear the Lord saying that you're going to walk out like this young boy completely unhurt that every broken area every part that the enemy broke every damaged area of your body God says I want to heal and I want to restore and I want to renew I am the God that heals the God that restores see the Bible says after the boy got up Paul went back to preaching and Paul preached until the sun came up here's the beauty in the story we never the boy never goes back to sleep after God woke him up from there are some of you that I prophesy that after these meetings you will never go back to sleep that God is going to expand you he's going to give you an ability to praise an ability to worship an ability to shout like never before who's ready to get off the window this morning I want to challenge you I want to challenge you tonight to invite somebody me and Matt are going to be praying for people, the prayer team. I believe, and what the Lord has showed me is that there's going to be an outpouring of supernatural miracles tonight. God has shown me that those with diseases, that those with sickness are going to come in this place. And this entire place is going to turn into the Holy Spirit Hospital with zero copay and zero deductible. I'm telling you, God is going to release healing power like never before. We have a product table. If you want to sew in, just buy a shirt. That's all I'm going to say. I believe this morning some of us are going to get off the window. I believe this morning some of us are going to say I'm tired of being halfway and we're going to come down and we're going to be a part of the revival welcome up Bishop this morning come on give the Lord a hand of praise let's just take a moment right now and drink it all in just pause and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what are you saying to me through this message this morning? How do you want me to respond to what I've just heard? 
Father, speak to us. Speak to every individual in this house. And allow them to come to a place of decision, to make a choice, a quality decision to determine, Father, to follow you more completely, more fully, more devotedly. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. close your eyes in his presence. Heavenly Father, you have spoken clearly to us, to this one. Father, let this word take root and bear fruit in our lives. Let it bring the change that we so desperately need. Father, our hearts are crying out and yearning for more of you. We desire a true move of your spirit in our lives. Break every stronghold of complacency. Break every stronghold of compromise. We yield ourselves to you afresh in the new of God. In Jesus' name. And I've read that story in the book of Acts so many times. And, you know, I, I kind of chuckled because I, I was thinking Apostle Paul was a long-winded preacher. Because after he raised the guy from the dead, he went on until morning to daybreak, continued to preach. But he didn't fall asleep again. <laughs> I love what Isaiah said, that some of you are going to be awakened you're not going to fall asleep again because God has called all of us to bring life to what is dead because if you have Jesus in you, you have his resurrection life, his power inside of you and so when you step into a room, you represent Jesus and you can bring life to what's dead in that place Amen well we're going to prepare to give an offering and you might say oh pastor why because you get to okay <laughs> we have an opportunity to invest in what God is doing and I love a verse I'm going to share just a couple thoughts with you this morning as we prepare this offering and I'm going to be as so as bold to declare when we began and looking at this weekend we set a target budget about eight grand, eight thousand dollars, right about there will cover everything. And you might say, well that sounds like a lot of money, well, not to God. But I'm gonna be so as bold to declare that it will come in because of what God is doing and moving among the people. It's interesting if you look at the book of Exodus in Exodus twenty four you see Moses making his trek up to Mount Sinai. He's called to fast, and it's a supernatural fast for 40 days and 40 nights. He's in this fast. He gets to the top of this mountain, and the glory cloud is there that he steps into. And God's presence is there, and he actually meets with God. And you can read at the end of chapter 24, he steps into the glory cloud. Chapter 25, guess what 
the very first thing that God speaks to Moses about. You can read it, Exodus, beginning of chapter 25. He said, go back and receive an offering from the people. Can you imagine, Moses, what? An offering, God? That's the first thing you tell me? That's my... It doesn't seem to make sense, but it does make sense because of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. He said, where a man's treasure is, that's where his heart is also. Your heart will always follow your treasure because of how treasure connects and holds our heart. And so we're going to receive an offering. And my challenge to you is to give so that your heart will move in the direction that God wants to take you when you give to him. Because you're not give, we're not giving to a man. We're not giving just to pay bills or expenses. We're giving to God. God sees it that way. But yet, it's through the hands of men that it's received through. And so there's an offering envelope in your seat pocket in front of you, and you know there's several ways to give. Allow the Spirit of God to prompt you. And my challenge is not, I'm not going to, it's not twisting your arm. It's simply you asking God, what would you have me do? What is my part in this weekend to invest in the move of God's Spirit, to invest in a revival that God longs to bring and wants to bring and is bringing, and He's going to do it with or without you, but it's so much better to allow Him to use you to be a part of it. And that's how God's looking for is your response to obedience, your willing heart. And we give proportionately. Some of you don't have the means. Others have the means, but you hold back. But just do what the Holy Spirit says to do. Father, just speak to each one. Father, to let us know what our part is as we invest in your kingdom for this work of God. Father, we long and desire revival. Let this be a seed for revival in this city, in our families, in our households, in the 715 region. In Jesus' name, amen. Prepare your offerings. You can take them in your hand or giving to the app, whatever means. Let's continue to pray. Father, we consecrate and bring to you our tithes, our offerings. Father, for this work. Father, we thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. This time the host will pass. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.